This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 48, Confession as Government. At about the year 1936, I reacted very negatively to the confessional of the Roman Catholic Church because of my sister's experience, working as a clerk at a five and ten cents store. Except for herself, all the sales girls were Catholics, the manager was Jewish. The other girls routinely stole small items and could not understand why my sister refused to do it. All you have to do is to confess it and it's all right, they told her. Yes, observed someone listening to my sister. Say a few Hail Marys, and it supposedly clears your record. I was offended at this trivialising of the faith and confession. About a year later, I was enrolled in a class of 20 on Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. The professor was a renowned Chaucerian scholar. Among the students were two nuns, in habit, who at times chatted with me because my perspective they recognised as Christian. I do not recall what the professor said about confession that left the sisters shaking their heads as they discussed it with me later. They made it clear that he was ignorant on the subject. As they called attention to his misconceptions, they made clear that they knew from historical studies and present practice in the, con- in the convent what confession is about. I remember only one statement they made. Confession and the confessor made peace between God and man and between one person and another. Their talk made me realise something I had never thought of before. A constant problem in Protestant churches is quarrelling women. Even St Paul had to deal with this problem and had wrote to the Philippians, beseeching two women to be of the same mind in the Lord, from Philippians 4.2. It occurred to me that a convent full of women would be a potentially stormy place, however strict the discipline, the resentments and disagreements would be there. A good confessor would be truly a peacemaker, and to be a confessor to nuns would require a wise and patient priest. The nuns did not use the word, but I recognise that confession is a form of government. The responses of a good confessor would be corrective, humbling and governmental. Not only an abbess governs a convent, the confessor does also. As I write this, I recall a long life of many prayers of confession, not as many as there should have been, no doubt, but many. A confession is of sin and also of burdens. It is a plea for government. In Psalm 51, we have David's great confessional prayer. He prays not only for mercy and forgiveness, but also for a clean heart and an inward renewal. He asks to be restored in the joy of salvation and to be upheld by the Lord. 
Having been a transgressor, he wants the blessing of God to enable him to teach other transgressors. All this and more is in David's confessional prayer. He asks for peace with God, the government of God over him and in him, and and the power to become effectual in God's service. That confession to a priest or pastor has been abused and perverted is an obvious fact. In a fallen world, what has not been, what has not been twisted into evil? The Fourth Lateran Council, AD 1215, required confession to a priest once a year by all believers under penalty of excommunication. This step has been offensive to Protestants on the ground that the prerogatives of God cannot be given to men or to the church. To require confession is to place very great powers of government in the hands of men and the church. For Protestants, confession to God is a necessity and confession to another believer or to a pastor is an option, not a law. The purpose of the Fourth Lateran Council was, quote, a massive and varied endeavour to save the souls of men through instruction and confession, end quote. There is no doubt that this step greatly advanced the impact of the faith in the life of men then and for centuries to come. The question remains, however, was it biblically valid? And was the impact in the long run a sound one? On both counts, the conclusion is that it was not. Confession is a form of government, a very powerful one. In the 20th century, humanistic confessions have created a great dependency on the psychotherapists, often a dangerous one, and the governing power has been a serious one. Confession did not originate with biblical religion. It existed in Assyrio-Babylonian cultures, but the emphasis seems to have been on ritual acts more than a moral transformation. If we bathe daily or twice a day, we do not thereby increase our ability to stay clean. The ritual of confession may well leave the inner man unchanged as it did in pagan antiquity. Confession in the church always runs the same risk. James Bakey called Egyptian confession as a form something radically lacking any acknowledgement of sin or repentance for it. It was rather a form, a formal repudiation of sin, not a repentance for it. This is the very substantial danger of mandatory confession in the church. It replaces true repentance with ritual and a cleansed heart with a, con, a conventional submission. The person is then governed, not changed. The goal becomes a pattern of church rites and not regeneration. In the early church, liturgical confession prevailed widely. For example, the Mozarabic rite contains this prayer, quote, We bear, O Lord, the yoke of our iniquities with a hard neck, a downcast countenance, a contrite heart, and scarcely have we learned by our punishment to repent, who before it would not recognise our guilt. But thou, O Lord, who has made tame wild beasts in the den, and has made cool the flames in the heat of the furnace, Lift up thy hands to help us, and grant us the most safe support of thy defence in affliction, that us, whom the weight of sins bows down, the virtue of thy long-suffering may lift up, and that, since by our iniquities we have fallen to the ground, we may be mercifully raised by thy ineffable goodness, that us, whom the actions of diverse transgressions convict, 
the indulgence of thy mercy may acquit. End quote. With Calvin and Knox, a general confession was made by the pastor, but, even more, the stress was on the redeemed and forgiven man going forth in the power of the Lord. Near the conclusion of a prayer in the Church of Scotland, written by John Knox, we read, quote, Let not the enemies of thy truth too miserably oppress thy word and thy servants, which seek thy glory, tender, regard with kindness, the advancement of thy pure religion, and above all things, wish in their heart that thy holy name alone may be glorified among all nations. Give unto the mouth of thy people truth and wisdom, which no man may resist. And, although we have most justly deserved this plague and famine of thy word, yet, upon our true repentance, grant, we beseech thee, we may be thereof released. And here we promise, before thy divine majesty, better to use thy gifts than we have done, and more straightly to order our lives according to thy holy will and pleasure. And we will sing perpetual praises to thy most blessed name, world without end, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. End quote. Knox takes us into a different world. The focus is not so much on the person as on the faith, and the goal is victory. His is a post-millennial confession. Quote, Give unto the mouth of thy people truth and wisdom which no man may resist. End quote. Not surprisingly, the Reformation began to stress confessions of faith and catechisms. This is the end of chapter 48. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.